Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for this amazing, wonderful, pure time of worship, Lord, just to draw close to you. And, Lord, trusting that our hearts are ready to receive your word, Father, Lord, so as we open up your word that you would speak to us. And, Father, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself. Everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you, not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, if you have your Bible or Bible apps, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're still in chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. We're now in part 2 of our new series, Last Words. Say last words. More enthusiasm, last words. And before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. Verses 1 through 7, I give you four points. You might remember these points. The first one was a recipient. Say that. That's in verses 1 and 2. And what Paul does, Paul opens with a salutation, with a greeting. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And then what he does, he makes it clear who the recipient is. He says to Timothy, say, Timothy, my dear son. So Paul is a spiritual mentor. Paul is a spiritual father to Timothy. And then he gives Timothy a blessing from the heart. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. The second point was the remembrance. Say that. The remembrance, verses 3 through 5. And Paul constantly remembers Timothy in his prayers and recalling Timothy's tears. And Paul also was reminded of Timothy's sincere faith that he learned from his grandmother, and also mother, and Paul says, and I am persuaded, I love this, persuaded now lives in you also. And you see, it wasn't enough that this genuine faith was in Timothy's grandmother and mother. It had to be in Timothy as well. And that's why Paul says, now lives in you also. And Paul saw Jesus. He saw Jesus in Timothy's life, and the evidence was there. The third point was the rekindling. Say that. The rekindling. That's in verse 6, and Paul is simply saying, Timothy, you can't be passive, can't. You can't be passive and expect the effects of your spiritual gift to just happen. You've got to keep fanning to flame the embers, which is already glowing. He's telling Timothy, Timothy, it's your responsibility to keep rekindling your spiritual gift. And so Paul wanted Timothy to keep his gift burning at a full flame level now, the flame wasn't gone. We know that, right? The flame wasn't gone, but it needed to be intensified and rekindled. The fourth point was the resources. Say that. That's in verse 7. The resources, verse 7, Paul, what he does, he encourages Timothy by remind, reminding him of his resources. And Paul's like, listen up, Timothy, all believers as well. Listen up. God has not given us, say not, given us, okay, a spirit of fear, right? Not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? This is what he has given us, but a spirit of power, say power, that God gives us the strength, the power we need to keep serving, right? And we cannot serve God, and we cannot use our gifts without the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. So God has not given you, Timothy, a spirit of fear, but what? A, a spirit of power, and he says, and of, of love. Say love. This is the attitude. In other words, this love, this agape love, is the attitude which we serve others. God gives us this love, okay, the love we need to keep ministering to those around us. 
Then he says, and of self-discipline or a sound mind. God gives us the ability. In other words, he gives you and I the ability to use the gifts that he has given us in a sensible, controlled manner in line with his purposes in each situation. God gives us what we need. Say what we need. The resources that we need to fulfill what he has called us to do. Amen? This now brings us to today's text, and the title of today's message is Unashamed. Everyone say that. Now, I want to point out that Timothy was ministering during a time when being a Christian, and let alone a pastor, was becoming very dangerous. And the the hostility towards Christians and towards the message of the gospel was growing. And they were mocked for their morality and for believing in a crucified man. And many of them were imprisoned. They were tortured and killed for their beliefs. And so here in the text, today's text, Paul is exhorting, say exhorting, Paul is exhorting Timothy and all, all believers not to be ashamed. Amen? Which is the key idea in this text. Three points in today's text, if you're ready, say yes. Number one is this, unashamed of our Savior. Say that, unashamed of our Savior. Love that. Look at verse 8 with me as you write that down. Look at verse 8 with me. And Paul says, so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Now I want to stop there, friends. The verb not be ashamed is an aorist tense, which means that this was not an action of which Timothy was guilty of. Rather, friends, the exhortation is designed to keep Timothy from becoming ashamed. You guys with me? And you see, Paul doesn't want Timothy and all believers to be ashamed when it comes to testifying about Jesus Christ. To not shrink back from the testimony of the Lord, to not be ashamed of anything that is a witness or a testimony or proof and evidence of anything that pertains to Jesus Christ. Listen, church, we are living, okay, we are living in a time where the testimony of Jesus has been minimized and cast aside. And and many are ashamed to take a stand and identify with Jesus. If you're safe, say amen. Don't be ashamed, listen now, don't be ashamed to testify and to witness and present evidence about Jesus. Don't be ashamed to testify and witness for what he has done on the cross. Don't be ashamed to point out that he is the only person, say only person, to come back from the dead three days after he was buried. And don't be ashamed, say don't be ashamed, to testify that he is the only one, say only one, who can save us and forgive us of our sins and give us eternal life. Be unashamed, unashamed of our Savior. And this is exactly what Paul is driving at. He's saying, hey, listen up, listen up, believers, to never be ashamed, to never be embarrassed to witness and testify of the truth of Jesus Christ. To to never be ashamed or embarrassed to identify ourselves with Jesus and with the gospel message. And it may bring division. It may bring affliction, persecution, perhaps hostility, but we are to stand strong in the faith and to be willingly to affirm and defend the truth about Jesus Christ at all costs. At all costs, amen? 
at all costs. Let's read on. Well, let's read this, okay? So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Then he says, or of me, his prisoner. I'm going to stop there. Say, say, or of me. Paul's not only exhorting Timothy to not be ashamed of testifying about Jesus, but also to not be ashamed of being associated with him or his relationship with him. And, and you see, friends, to be associated with Paul could lead to further persecution. And that's why so many denied and deserted Paul, okay? They were ashamed, ashamed of being associated with Paul. I want you to jump to verse 15, and we're going to cover this next week, okay? Jump to verse 15 of this chapter. We're going to cover this next week. Paul says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has what? Deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Phygelus and Hermogenes, man, I'm glad. You, I mean, I think my name's bad, Arnold, okay? Amen? But these are two folks that he mentions that deserted him. We'll get more into that next week, amen? Back to the text. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Say his prisoner. Paul is a prisoner of Jesus, not of Nero. You got it? And this is what he's driving at. And you see, the Romans thought that Paul was a prisoner of Rome because they arrested and incarcerated him. But Paul didn't consider himself to be a prisoner of Rome or, or of Nero, not Nero, excuse me, or of negative circumstances or of the religious leaders who started his legal troubles. Rather, rather, Paul considered himself, listen now, and characterize his circumstances as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Amen? Paul refuses to characterize his circumstances as bad luck. He saw his imprisonment, his imprisonment as under God's sovereign control. And then this is why Paul, in his own thinking, was not a prisoner of the Roman Empire, but of Christ and of the gospel. And, and this is what I love. This is what I love about Paul. He refused to allow the chains, the chains to hinder his ministry. F follow me here. The chains were not obstacles to him, but he allowed them to become chains of opportunity. Amen? Now, I want to say this. Paul is not in prison because he ran off with the church secretary or because he embezzled money from the church, or because he did some, something wicked. Paul's in prison because he is persistent, say persistent, in his willingness to testify about Jesus. And you see, Paul easily could have avoided prison. Could, easily could have avoided prison. All he had to do was what? Stop testifying about Jesus. Stop preaching about the gospel. Stop you know, living for Jesus, shut his mouth and walk away. But Paul says, no, no, I'm, I'm not ashamed of my Savior. And he expected Timothy and expected every single believer to follow his example. Now, now Paul's, like, Paul's like, hey, by the way, Timothy, there's more. <laughs> Let's read on. But join me, he says to Timothy, join me in suffering for the gospel. I want to stop there. Paul has spent most of his life as a believer, right? As a believer, suffering for what he preached. We know that, right? And so what he does here is he invites, he invites Timothy to be willing to suffer with him. 
You see, Paul isn't asking Timothy to do anything he isn't already doing. And so he was simply informing Timothy that to testify of Christ and identifying and associating with him would come at a price. So I want you to write this down. You can turn to it. Chapter 3 of, of 2 Timothy. Chapter 3, verse 12. We'll get to that down the line in our series. And Paul says, in fact, everyone, say everyone, who wants to live, this is what he says, a godly life in Christ Jesus will, not might, but will be persecuted. Do you guys get that? You see, suffering for the sake of Jesus is part of the Christian life. So don't be surprised. Oh, they're persecuting me. Don't be surprised. Okay? You guys with me? If Timothy, listen now, if Timothy followed Paul's instruction, he would be expected, say, say expected, to be a partaker of like afflictions and like sufferings. And Timothy must be willing to endure the same treatment that Paul had endured. And, and this, this was the challenge that Timothy had to face. Now, i got to tell you, what I love about Paul is that he doesn't leave Timothy hanging on a string. He, he doesn't say, hey, Timothy, you know, you're going to have to suffer just like me, and you know, you're, you're going to have to be a partaker of the same afflictions and sufferings just as I, I, I have. Okay, so you know what, Timothy? Good luck, dude. Okay, you're on your own. Okay, have a good day. Paul didn't say that. Instead, I love what he says. Okay, after telling Timothy the honest truth about the suffering, right, and the affliction that would come his way, he lets Timothy know he was not without hope. Look at the text with me now. But join with me in suffering for the gospel. Here's the hope. Here's the hope. By the power of God. Okay? Got it? By the power of God. Do you remember what Paul said to Timothy back in verse 7? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of what? Power. Say power. Power. Okay, love and self-discipline. Power. Power. That's the same power he's referring to right here in the text. God has given you a spirit of power. Amen? So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. God enables us to endure suffering. He does. Amen? God enables us to endure suffering. God would enable Timothy, and God will enable us to endure whatever we face by his mighty power. And you see, Timothy was to live life in anticipation of receiving the strength necessary to endure the trials and, and persecution and afflictions and suffering and hostility, and so are we. And Paul says, because you have a spirit of power, because the Holy Spirit who lives within you, you don't give up. You don't quit. You don't quiet your witness. The Spirit of God, say that. Okay, the Spirit of God, Paul saying, the Spirit of God will empower you, so lean on His power to enable you to openly, boldly, and unashamedly testify of Jesus Christ and stand for the gospel. So question, question. Are you willing, or excuse me, excuse me, are you allowing, are you allowing the Spirit to empower you to stand firm in a contentious, ungodly world, ungodly culture? Listen, things are, are going to continue to get worse. They are. 
Amen. Every day this world has grown increasingly wicked and less tolerant of the Christian faith. Christianity is under attack. Yes? It's under attack. And it's going to get worse, friends. There are going to be some dark days coming ahead for the church and for Christianity. But we can face each day. Someone say amen. And the challenges that it brings in full anticipation of the power, say, say power, we have from God to endure. All that being said, all that being said, I need to ask a question. Are we willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? Are we willing to be a partaker of the afflictions and sufferings of the gospel? Now, before you answer that, I want you and I, us, to consider those who have suffered, like the apostles and the many Christians in the early centuries, listen now, who were thrown in prison, who were beaten, tortured, beheaded, and burned at the stake. And the many, many Christians today around the world who have died for the cause of Christ. Listen, every single day, every single day, 13 Christians world, worldwide, every single day, are killed because of their faith. Some are unjustly arrested or imprisoned, while others are abducted. And this is according to the World Watch List annual report produced by Open Doors, a nonprofit organization that chronicles persecution against Christians. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Now, so far, here in America, we're not going to be thrown into prison. So far. Okay? We're not going to be beaten or tortured or beheaded or burned at the stake for the cause of Christ. But if we knew that that was going to happen, like straight up right now, for your faith, that if you claim Christ, right, the gospel, that you would be thrown into prison, beaten, tortured, beheaded, burned at the stake, whatever it might be for the cause of Christ, if that were the case, would we stand, stand firm for the cause of Christ? Straight up, think about it. Or would we shrink back from identifying with him in his message? Because right now, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, I'll stand for Christ. Because we're not really being deeply persecuted. I mean, our persecution is like, well, they made fun of me. They said I'm a Jesus freak or, you know, I'm a hallelujah, you know, or, or they don't like me because I'm a Christian. We're talking about deep persecution. Would we, would we, would we, would we stand firm for the cause of Christ? Okay, or would we shrink back and say, I don't know him or no, I'm not a Christian. Something to think about. Unashamed of our Savior. Number two, is unashamed of our salvation. Unashamed of our salvation. Can I get an amen? Look at verse 9 with me. Who has saved us, speaking of Christ, who has saved us. I want to stop there, and I love this, and this is so awesome, because Paul, listen now, doesn't say that Jesus may save us or, or will save us, but that Jesus already has. What Paul does, Paul reminds Timothy and us that we are saved. And the word is in a tense that means it is a completed act. That our salvation is a, an accomplished fact. Someone say praise God. Now if you're saved, say amen. Okay, we have been delivered, this is what he's driving at here, we have been delivered from the depths of sin and hell, right, saved from the wrath of God. And you see, friends, salvation in Christ is precious. And I'll tell you why it's precious. Because it's complete, it's perfect, 
and eternal. And what it does, it delivers the soul and it changes the life. Amen? It delivers the soul from hell and it changes the life. It transforms our life. Reverend William J. said this, The unbeliever may doubt it. The skeptic may deny it. The world may deride it. The know-it-all may despise it. The modern preacher may dismiss it, but each of us born-again Christian believers can attest, I was blind, but now I see. Amen? And this should encourage us, listen now, friends, to remain committed to Jesus. And we have been saved, born again in him. Therefore, someone say, therefore, we have the assurance of Jesus standing with us in every circumstance that you and I face. Let's read on. And called us to a holy life. Did you get that? King James says, and called us with a holy calling. So what Paul does, notice what he does. He transitions from the idea of suffering for the cause of Christ and for the sake of the gospel to the holy life to which Christians are called. So you ready for the lesson? Salvation calls us to holiness. Right? Salvation calls us to holiness. Now, Jesus didn't call us because we were holy. But now that we're saved, we're called to be holy. Amen? We're, we're called to live a holy life. And, and what Paul does, Paul reminds Timothy and all believers of the holy life, the holy calling that accompanies salvation. Now, I want to say this, and you see, this is it. Sometimes with salvation, listen, Christians, sometimes with salvation, we only focus on what we've been saved from and not saved to. Get that? Yeah, yeah, we've been saved from hell and sin, but we've been saved to a holy life. Okay, it's not just this, but it's this as well. Right, right? Praise God I'm saved from hell and sin, but I'm also saved to a holy life, to holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4.7. Stay with me now. Paul writes, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 1 Peter 1, 5, 15, excuse me, through 16. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Huh? Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. You guys get that? A.W. Tozer said this, you can be sure the Holy Spirit never enters a man or a woman and lets him or her live like the world. Woo! We are called to be separate, set apart from the world, right? And set before Jesus to live a holy life. Praise God, we're saved. Praise God, amen? Amen? But there ought to be sanctification and holiness. They ought to see that we're saved. Amen? Let's read on. Not because of anything we have done, ha, but because of his own purpose and grace. I want to stop there. Timothy is reminded that our salvation and our calling have nothing to do with who we are or with anything we may have done. We are saved by grace, period. 
period. Amen? It's the unmerited love and unmerited favor of God for sinners. If you got it, say got it. Timothy, listen now, nor any of us were saved due to any merit or effort of our own. Our salvation was a direct result of the providence of a gracious, merciful, loving God. I want to say this. There isn't one of us that was worthy of God's grace. None of us here worthy of God's grace. We were born in sin. We were separated and condemned before God. We were all now in a hopeless situation but God. Amen? But God in His grace, God in His love, God in His mercy chose to provide the means for our salvation through His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. He then, listen now, He then chose to draw us unto Himself, revealing our need for reconciliation and saved us by grace through faith. Let's read on. This grace, say this grace, was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Listen, salvation wasn't an afterthought in God, okay? All right? But God's plan from before the beginning. And because of this, our works could have had nothing to do with our salvation. God, listen now, God made provision for my salvation and God made provision for your salvation before he ever created the world. And I want you to get this, get this. The fact that we can do nothing for our salvation is reiterated by the fact this grace was given to us before, the, before time began. And so I want to prove it to you. Here we go. Ephesians 1 Verses 4 and 5. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And Paul writes this, For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we may, that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight and love. He did this by predestining us to adoption as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of of his will. Amen? Verse 10. Stay with me now. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior. Who's that? Christ. Jesus. Who has what? Destroyed death. Right? And has brought life. Speaking of brought life. That life's the new spiritual life which only Jesus can bring. And immortality to light through the gospel. I want to remind you, friends, listen now, that these are words of a man who is getting ready to die. Right? Okay? He's awaiting his execution, and he could face death at any single moment. This is Paul. So I believe what Paul is doing here is assuring Timothy that death wasn't all that bad for the believer. Why? Because it wasn't the end for the believer. Because Jesus Christ dying on the cross had already abolished death. He broke the power of death. Amen? You see, physical death, physical death will eventually come. We know that, right? But eternal life, say eternal life, would come right at the departure from this life. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Death has no power over us. 
Death has no power over us. Through Jesus' sufferings on the cross, listen, friends, he abolished death. In the Greek, in the Greek, the word abolish is katargio. Say that, katargio. It means to render inoperative. To render inoperative. Follow me. The most dreaded enemy, we know this, right? The most dreaded enemy of mankind was rendered ineffective and inoperative when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Yeah? And this is what Paul meant when he referred to the sting of death being taken away in 1 Corinthians 15.55. Now I want to say this. Okay, if you're safe, say amen. If you said amen, death, death is rendered inoperative. Got it? It's taken, listen, it's taken out of the picture for us. And the spotlight of grace shines on life and immortality. Death, in other words, this is now Christians, death is no longer a threat. Death for us is no longer an enemy. Death for us is no longer the end. Amen? John eleven twenty five. You guys know that, right? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though we're dead, yet shall he live. Death has no power over the believer. And I want to say this. Salvation serves as both a reminder and a motivator for you and I to endure to the end. Amen? Unashamed of our Savior, say that. Unashamed of our salvation, say that. And the third point, unashamed to share the gospel. Yeah? Unashamed to share the gospel. Look at verse 11 with me. And of this gospel, I love that, I was appointed a herald slash preacher and an apostle and a teacher. So even though Paul was in prison, he remembered who he was and what God had called him to do. What Paul does, Paul shares how God uniquely called him, listen now, to proclaim the gospel as a herald, a preacher, and an apostle, and a teacher. So you ready for the lesson? Let's get, let's get right into it. Remember our duty, our duty to share the gospel. Got it? Our duty to share the gospel. This, this description of Paul's divine duty was a reminder to both Timothy and to every single believer of our duty to faithfully, faithfully share the gospel. Now, now I want to break it down here. No, notice the three words in the text. He uses the word herald. Say herald. Preacher. In other words, preacher. Heralds were sent by a king. They were sent by a king to proclaim the king's message with the king's authority. You guys with me? And we do the same every time we share the gospel. We are sent, this is how we are sent by not a king, but the king, King Jesus, right? With his authority, not ours, his authority to share the gospel. Amen? So when you and I go out and share the gospel, we're doing it because we're under the authority of the king to share the gospel. Then he says apostle. Say apostle. Now, we may not be apostles in, in that we are not part of the historical group who saw 
the resurrected Christ and proclaimed his resurrection with signs and wonders. However, the word apostle, we covered this thing last week, literally means sent one. That's all it means, one who sent, sent one. So we all have been sent by our Lord. Every Christian has been sent, sent out, right, by our Lord to proclaim the gospel known as the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Every sin, if you're safe, say amen. Every one of us, listen now, every believer has been commissioned by God himself to share the gospel, to go out to the highways and byways, amen, and to share, proclaim the gospel. Got it? Then he says teacher. Say teacher. So as teachers, we explain the application and implications of the gospel. Got it? So you're safe, say amen. So in other words, our job, our duty is to be available, willing, yielded, usable, faithful, ready, and unashamed to share the gospel. Amen? To share the gospel. Romans 1.16. We know this, right? Romans 1.16. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Not. Not ashamed of the gospel because it is what? The power of God that brings salvation. There's power, right? The power of God and salvation brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. So we are commissioned, right? It's our obligation to share the gospel. Now, real quick here. Well, how, how do I do that, Pastor Arnold? Well, I'll tell you how. Share your story, then share his story. Share your story. Oh, man, you should have, you know, I was this, I was that, right? Uh, I was a drug addict, or, or I was a liar, you know, I was just a, you know, a chyster. Okay, that's my story. Then you tell his story. Then you say, I was this, I was that, but then God. Amen? Got it? Then you share his story, how he came into your life and how he saved you, washed you of your sins, and transformed you, right? Saved you from hell and sin into a life of holiness and glory when we die. Amen? Very simple. Very simple. Tell your story. Then tell his story. Verse 12. We're almost done here. Verse 12. This is Paul's profound statement of faith, and I love this. Verse 12. This is why I am suffering as I am. In other words, this is the reason I am in prison. Okay, and what he's saying, basically, I'm only guilty of faithfully fulfilling my calling. And I'm not ashamed, Paul's saying. I'm not ashamed of suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now listen, we'll continue in the statement of faith. Yet I am not ashamed because I know. Say I know. Say I know. Now say it like you know it. Say I know. That I know there carries the idea of knowing with certainty. I know that I know that I know that I know. Whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard. Say guard. In other words, to watch or, or to keep or to keep an eye on or to preserve. What I have entrusted to him for that day. So Paul's like, Paul's like, hey man, not what I have believed, 
Not when I have believed, not how much I have believed, but I know whom I have believed. I know the person. Paul said, I know the person to person into whose hands I have committed my calling, my ministry, my present condition, my life, and my eternal destiny. I have entrusted my soul, he's saying, to Jesus, and I know, and I know that I know that I know that he is able to keep me completely. And this is it. This is it. Paul, Paul's assurance, and I love this, was not about him and the status that he had reached by his labor in the Christian faith. His assurance was all about Jesus Christ. I know whom I have believed. That should be a t-shirt. In other words, our salvation is not about how great and how extensive our faith is, but how great and how glorious and how merciful and how sufficient and how faithful Jesus Christ is to save us and not just to save us, but to keep us saved. Amen? But I have entrusted to him for that day. Here's a lesson. We're almost done here. Here's a lesson. You ready for the lesson? Trust Jesus as your keeper. Trust Jesus as your keeper. Hey, hey, if you're safe, say amen. I'm not convinced. If you're safe, say amen. He is a shepherd and he is a guardian of your soul. And he can be trusted to keep your life for all of eternity. Amen? So quit putting trust and quit putting confidence in yourself. Okay? Because listen now, you're, you're, you're way too weak to keep yourself. <laughs> you are. Got it? Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus who has proven himself trustworthy. So, so trust him. Trust him. Trust him with your calling. Trust him with your ministry. Trust him with your present condition. Trust him with your life. And trust him with your eternal destiny. Amen? So I'll stand. Father, we thank you.